We've gotten a little introduction by the birds and the song, turn, turn, turn. But now let's take a look at this amazing passage that Solomon is writing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the ESV version. Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter or event under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up or uproot or harvest what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, tear down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek or search and a time to lose or give up. A time to keep and a time to cast away or throw. A time to tear and a time to sow or mend. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. There is a lot there. Now, in your handout, you're going to look at this and say, holy mackerel, there's a lot of stuff in it. What I chose to do is to actually put verses 2 through 8 on your notes with a little gap in between them. So as I make some comments about each of these verses, you have the freedom to make a note or something like that. So what I'd like to do is frame Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in doing this, I want this framing to help us see, understand, and lean into and maybe even embrace the hard, painful, often confusing realities of life and frame them as this, seasons or cycles that have a beginning and have an end. Frame this as God's, part of God's mysterious, sovereign, which means he is Lord, he's in control, he is his sovereign and goodwill and ways and plan. We're going to frame this that God is in control. He has our good in mind. His creation, our life has purpose and meaning. There is a divine plan. And it's interesting to think that these verses are not so much a theology that Solomon is giving, but more a lens by which to view the world. It's a worldview. It's a perspective. Okay, does that make sense? You got this frame? Now, let's take a look at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Well, Solomon is saying that there is a time and season for all of the things of life, both the good and the bad. 
Nothing is random or outside the reach of God. The mystery of time marches on and change is a reality. And change can be relentless and sometimes uninvited. Now, up to this point, we've been talking about life under the sun, as Solomon has observed. And if you've been here for all of our messages, it hasn't been overly encouraging. In fact, it's been pretty um, pessimistic. Because bottom line, Solomon is looking at life in different aspects of life, like money, pleasure, work, those types of things. And he said, I have it all, but you know what? It's like trying to grab water. You get a feeling of it, and then what? It just slips away. Interestingly, a guy named Warren Wiersbe helps us understand why Solomon pauses here in chapter 3 to not just describe this idea of life under the sun, and we've used the phrase that really life does become meaningful when you have life in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, what Solomon is doing, he's giving us a perspective, in a sense, above the earth. Sort of an overall perspective from a divine worldview. Here's how um, Warren Wiersbe says. Solomon says, Solomon observes something above man that God is in control of time, the seasons, and I love this phrase, and he balances life's experiences. Up to this point, we've always heard from Solomon that life is meaningless. It's chasing the wind. It's vanity. It's havel, that Hebrew word. But tonight, we're going to have that perspective from above in terms of these seasons, these 14, and this was really interesting, um, Connie and I had the conversation, um, are these 14 phrases that are all on your sheet, are they opposites? I didn't like that. I'm going to let them be tonight contrast, okay? I don't care if you think of them as opposites or contrasts, but they have these sort of like two ends, like there's tension between them. And most of us are experiencing some of these seasons intention right now. So let's take a few moments and just walk through briefly each one of these contrasts, and I'm going to make some comments. So verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Death and birth are not human accidents, but they are divine appointments. Each has a purpose. There's a beginning and there's the end. In 2018, on May 11th, Connie's father died. On Christmas Day of 2018, in the same year, Connie's mom died. We lived this passage. We lived this passage and this idea of there's a time of birth and there's a time of death. Let's move to the next one. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. 
here Solomon's observing sort of the natural world, this idea of, of agriculture, of a farmer. And a successful farmer not only knows that it's up to nature to really determine the outcome of what they've planted, but it's their job to cooperate with nature in terms of trusting nature for the outcome. Well, I think you could apply that to even a relationship with God, that it's up to us to trust working with God, not against God, for the outcomes he desires in our life. So there's times in life when you're, when you're planting Many of you are in the beginning of your career. Some of you have started jobs in, in the recent months or years, and you're paying your dues. I've said to people, the first two years are really hard in a new job because you just got to learn the ropes. You want to do your best. You don't want to make a stupid mistake. All that pressure of that planting. But there's also the times where you reap the good work that you've done and the harvest and, and being able to get what you've planted. All right. This is one of the toughest ones. Let's take a look at it. A time to kill and a time to heal. I don't know about you, that's hard. A time to kill. Well, interestingly, there's two views in regard to how would you understand a time to kill. The first view says that Solomon here is speaking of a reference to sickness and disease and a pandemic. That's what happens. People die. People are killed by sickness and disease. We could maybe add in their accidents. Okay? So some people take that view. That's what that means. But probably the majority of people take a view that this is describing a just war, self-defense, or civil police force that has, in a sense, the authority and to right to take the life of another person. A time to kill. Now, where this gets difficult is, what's your position? What's your position on war? Are you a pacifist? That there's no reason to support or be part of a war, any type of violence. What's your position on capital punishment? That's a controversial thing and still remains to this day with different states having different laws. And the whole idea of, of the force of whether it's military or police being used, okay, is, is that legitimate? Does the Bible condone that? And that's a whole nother talk. But I think for some, they interpret this as legitimizing just war, self-defense, as well as the use of force from appropriate authority to defend and to protect. A time to kill. I got to be honest with you, both of those answers are not fully satisfying for me. I'm still wrestling with that. But it says, a time to kill and a what? A time to heal. Interesting juxtaposition. So there's a time to kill, and Solomon says there's a time to heal. 
a time where you can offer forgiveness. You can invite those that are at odds or who've wronged you to a table of reconciliation. That there's true healing to restore. I thought through what are some pretty extreme examples of healing. And I I remember, and I had to look it up, in 2006, there was this tragic, tragic school killing in an Amish schoolhouse, a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, where 10 children were shot and five children died. And the nation was just an uproar. We should be in uproar with any type of school shooting. But what was so amazing, and the press actually did give an appropriate portrayal of this, is that the Amish community went public. I remember watching on TV, and they said, we forgive the gunmen. And not everybody liked that. He needs to, he, uh, all that bit. But what a powerful example, because of their faith, and their faith lived in community, that they chose a time of healing. That blows me away. And there's other examples of that, which just grab our hearts. Time to kill, time to heal. Not an easy one. Let's move on. A time to break down and a time to build up. This is sort of like a building construction metaphor world. It's the old idea, if something's falling down, and we all, I don't know about you, maybe the guys will identify this, but I, I love watching old, old, big buildings dem- demolished with one, okay, it's a time to tear that puppy down and a time to build up. Could we apply that to the status quo to something new and innovative? Are we locked in tradition Or does sometimes tradition need to change and something needs to be built up? A time to tear down and a time to build up. One other application. Um, By the way, anybody here from a military background? I see one, a couple. Okay. (laughs) Most of us know this. But when, whatever branch you go into the military, my son's in the Navy. When you go into boot camp, and then let's say you want to aspire to be a Navy SEAL, and you get so far as to make it into what's called BUDS, which is their training and their hell week, the whole purpose of that training, of that time, is to what? Break you down. To what? Build you up the way the military wants you to think, act, respond. Bless you who have served in our military. But that's just another idea of there's a season to build, to to tear down, and a season to build up. I've had coaches do that. (laughs) How about this one? A time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time for proper emotions. There's a time for joy. There's a time to laugh. But there's also time to weep. 
to empathize, to be broken with another person's brokenness, a time to sympathize. Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 12, where he literally quotes this phrase by saying, there's a time to weep, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. I've had to learn to do that because by my personality, I'm sort of the optimist. Everything's going to be okay. And um, partly because of my upbringing and maybe personality, it's hard for me to cry. Never saw my dad cry. I've asked the Lord to give me tears as I've gotten older. But there's a time to just, just celebrate and to laugh. And there's a time to weep and just hug somebody in the midst of utter pain and loss and devastation. Well, somewhat similar. Let's move on to the next one. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I love this. There's a proper response here. We need to grieve well with those who grieve. One of the things I've said to people, and I've had to practice myself, is that we need to give ourselves when we go through deep loss and others who've experienced loss the permission to grieve. Our culture doesn't like grief. We want to deny it, minimize it, drink, drug it over, what have you. But there's a time to grieve, a time to mourn well. But then there's a time to dance, a time to celebrate, a time to just say, yes, look what just happened. Look at this new life God's given us. Look what God did in Mexico. It's a time to party. Whenever, Jesus says, whenever one person comes into the family of God, the angels party and rejoice and celebrate. I have to tell you, I'll be honest, sometimes I think the church does a poor job of celebrating. We just, don't give God enough credit, and we don't allow just our, our raw humanity just to be overtaken by the goodness of God and by him doing something that is unexplainable and just overwhelms us with emotion. One other important thing, this idea of mourning and the idea of um, dancing together needs to be done in community. I don't know about you, but it's probably harder to dance alone than with others. And unfortunately, I, boy, I'd be careful here, one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the tradition of, of church life where we don't dance hardly at all. And some of you grew up in hyper-fundamentalist places where dancing was considered a sin. Men and women, I've been around my Hispanic brothers and sisters and my black brothers and sisters. I've been in Africa. I've been in India. Oh, they dance. Oh, they dance. So if some of you just get footloose dancing, blame me. <laughs> blame me. We need to do a little more partying, a little more dancing. What Solomon is saying here, this idea of a time to weep and laugh, a time to mourn and dance, is the fact that joys and sorrows are part of life. 
Boy, I love the joys. I'm not real comfortable with the sorrows. Solomon is saying, both are from the hand of God. Both have purpose. Both have a cycle. Let's move on. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Again, remember, he's observing. He's observing just out there in the world, in his kingdom. And and in Israel, Israel's not Wisconsin. It's a desert. It's high plain. And guess what? They have lots of stones. And if you're going to plant crops, you got to do what? Get rid of the stones. And usually what they would do is they'd get rid of the stones and build a road or a wall with those stones. So Psalm's got this real-time example that there's a time to cast away stones, get rid of them, and gather them for another purpose, like a wall or like a road. Next one. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. The idea of embracing is this idea of of closeness, connectedness. Can I go so far as saying intimacy? A sense of nearness. That's what embracing does. I don't know what cultic thing happened when we were doing our table talk, but like five people, two of our folk ran off stage and Bobby felt like an orphan up here. (laughs) And there's this little group hug. I thought that was pretty cool. That is a time for embracing. But Solomon says there's also time to shun embracing, a time to refrain from embracing. It's the idea of putting distance between you and something or someone. It's the idea um, in the Old Testament where there were specific laws that if you as a Jew were to encounter a leper, you would go the opposite direction. If you encountered a dead body, if you, got, if you touched that dead body, you were considered unclean. There are multiple sicknesses that if you were exposed to, you had to be distanced from the community for a period of time to make certain you didn't get the disease or he had this period of cleansing. Do you see how in the Old Testament you had this idea of shunning embracing, a time of not embracing? I think in our world today, the time to have distance is what Connie and I call in our marriage a cooling off period, a time out where we're in a place where we're in disagreement or we've wounded one another or I've been the idiot, which is far more the case than she. And and when I've been a jerk, Con doesn't want me to walk up and, oh, honey, I just love you. She's pretty good at the stiff arm. (laughs) Okay? See what I'm saying? In our relationships, sometimes there's a time for embracing and sometimes there's a time not to embrace. Cooling off periods. Oh, this is interesting. A time to seek 
search and a time to lose. This is lost and found, folks. It's the all-out effort to search, recover, whatever it takes, find it. Okay? How many of you have ever lost your car keys? Okay? That's, I mean, I'd like to believe you've always found them. But now, car keys, how many of you have lost, okay, how many of you lost your iPhone, your phone? Oh my golly. (laughs) I don't need to say anything more. You know what it means to be in a season of seeking and searching. I gotta find this. But then Solomon says, there's a time to lose, to give up as lost. That's hard, especially for us type A people. I'm going to find it. I'm going to, I got to do it. I think one of the most uh, difficult things to hear for those who live on the coast of our world and whose world is around the ocean and the lakes is when there's a tragic accident in the water and they send out search planes, they send out boats, and they spend days, weeks searching for survivors, searching for the wreckage. But what always typically happens, they have to give up and say it's lost. That's hard. That's hard. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Connie really likes this, a time to throw away, because who do you think is the the keeper in the marriage? Oh, my God. I'm Mr. Hoarder. She's Mr. Throwaway, Mrs. Throwawayer. Well, that's funny, but in this respect, you have choices to keep what is valuable, to keep what's working, keep what's life-giving. But then, what do we do? We get rid of things that are old and broken down, clothing, things that are broken in the basement. Connie says, do you still need that? doesn't work. Okay. But here's maybe where it's a little harder. If there's a time to keep and a time to cast away, maybe there are times when we need to cast away, push away, push off unhealthy people in our life, unhealthy habits. There's a season for that, particularly with people that you love. That's very hard. A time to tear and a time to sow. Here it's the whole idea of a clothing fabric metaphor that there's a time to tear. It's time to tear off maybe a portion of clothing that's ripped or something and a time to repair it, a time to mend it. Or you've just got, and we don't have this issue so much in our culture, but in third and fourth world countries, clothing is very precious. And maybe they'll tear up a piece of clothing, tear it apart, and start new. And sow something completely different because the need has changed. They've moved from a rainy season to a hot season or what have you. 
but you get the idea that there is times when you need to tear something apart and a time to sow it, to mend it, start something new. Well, this one I'm not good at. Time to keep silent and a time to speak. Bless you, Connie. Um, <laughs> James 1.19 says this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Wow. Proverbs says, this is, this is wild. Proverbs says a fool is considered wise when they keep their mouth shut. <laughs> this I don't like this a lot, but I have two ears and one mouth. So maybe I need to listen twice as much as I speak. And the idea, time to keep silent, it's not just talking less. I think many of us have been in very grievous moments, painful situations, where you don't want somebody to be talking at you. You don't want them to give you some pious biblical platitude. You just want them to be near embracing you, holding you, so you don't feel alone and you don't feel abandoned. Silence can be such a gift, so precious. A time to love and a time to hate. This is tough. God is love. We're to be God's people who love. I get that. So I just simply would say, love what God loves. Love people. Love life. Love what is good. Love this word. Love flourishing. Something that's thriving. But men and women, I think Solomon is saying to us, hate what God hates. Hate evil. Hate the evil one. Hate injustice. Hate cruelty. Hate oppression. I don't believe there's any room in the Christ follower's life to vilify, hate, diminish another person because of their beliefs, their opinions, their political position. I don't think we have the right or the permission to hate. This has been a phrase used in the church a lot, but it's a good one. It's often misunderstood. Love the sinner and what? Hate the sin. Now, if you've not heard that, think about that for a moment. I'm called to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Hate the thing that's just controlling them. I was a brand new Christ follower as a senior in high school, and I'll never forget it, it was um, a cold um, night. And I don't know why, but I, I went outside, and my, my dad was an alcoholic, and in my high school years was his worst, worst drinking because of his marriage to my third mother. And I'll never forget men and women. I'm outside, and I turned and looked through the patio door, and my dad had promised I'm going to be sober and all that. But, and I watched him open a pantry door and sneak some alcohol. And I have to tell you, at that moment, I hated my dad. I just hated him because of his hypocrisy, all the pain the alcohol had caused. 
And I'll never forget the Lord just ran this thought through my head. He just said, Fritz, your dad is not the enemy. He's the victim of the enemy. That profoundly changed my attitude toward my dad. I hated his drinking. But the Lord said, you, you, you got to love your dad. He's my image bearer. He's your dad. All right, last one. Flip. Oh, you, you might not be flipping. Now, you can go to the end of the page. A time for war and a time for peace. Wow, is this not real time, heavy and challenging as we're watching what's happening in Ukraine? I'd like to say that there's a cause for a just war and there's unjust war. And that would be a whole nother night's talk. Um, however you define those terms. Um, I believe, I believe that if you're going to involve yourself in the war, you never need to be the aggressor. You never need to start the war. That's why for me, World War II, the attack on Pearl Harbor, the atrocities of the Nazi regime, I think World War II was a just war. I'm just going to be honest. I could be in trouble because I share my opinion here. I don't think what's happening in Ukraine and under the Soviet leadership is a just war. I think it's unjust. I think it's unnecessary. But there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. A time for peace um, that's between groups, between countries, between spouses, between friends, and peace within our hearts. And Solomon understands that. Well, men and women, we just did a really quick run through those 14 contrasts. I want to end by sharing what I call seven considerations as we think of these seasons, these cycles. First of all, lean into the reality that life and God operate in seasons, in cycles. Things don't stay the same. Change is constant. There's a phrase that says the only guarantee in life is what? For Khan and I, our parents birthed us, and we buried them. Khan and I are going to die, and my children are going to bury us. Things change. There's a cycle to life. We like to welcome the good, successful, easy seasons, but we often resist the hard, painful seasons. In fact, when we're in that hard season, the hard reality spoken here, we sometimes will move away from God because we're blaming him. Tonight, with God's help, choose to lean into the season that God has you in. Number two, live in the tension of the both and and not so much in the either or. This is a profound statement. Either or says, it's my position or no other position. The both and says that maybe there's more than one way or one view to look at something that I can have a conversation with somebody who's different from me and listen and learn from them. 
The both and is what these 14 contrasts are talking about. It's not either or. It's not either embracing or not embracing. There's this crazy, mysterious tension in between. And what? We tend to live in the midst of that. The Apostle Paul knew the both and. He knew what it was to be in plenty and want. He knew strength. He knew weakness. He knew joy and sorrow. He knew mystery and he knew known things. And if I can be honest, in applying this practically in the, in the power of the, of the both and, we need to have an openness to the both and and agree to disagree without being disagreeable. It's interesting in the church, we know this is true in politics, in the church, I'll give you two examples of the need for both and. Do you realize that there's multiple views on the return of Jesus? Some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. So some believe that Jesus is going to return before this period of seven years called the tribulation. That's called pre-trib. Some believe Jesus is going to come halfway in between it. And they have scripture to back this up. That's called mid-trib. And some believe, no, the church, we are going to go through the tribulation. And that's called post-trib. Who's right and wrong? Maybe it's both and. Now it's a little controversial. Do you realize there's more than one position on the role of women in the church? And I'd like to say, could we in the church live with a both and versus an either or? All right, I don't want to give him too much trouble there. All right. <laughs> this is powerful. We need to look at these, number three, these contrasts through the dual lens of the Old Testament and New Testament in regard to law and covenants. On the Old Test, in the Old Testament, the law was written on stones, the Ten Commandments. It was written on paper or scrolls. And what was written is, if you do this, you will live and be blessed. If you don't do this, you will be cursed and you will die. Okay? And at that point, it's pretty clear. Here's the law. The New Testament, more significantly, Jesus comes along and he gives a deeper fully, fuller, radical understanding of the law through the lens of his life, love, and grace. So Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for them. To the Jewish mind, that would be radical. A time to love and a time to hate. Jesus just completely took it to a whole nother level. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for two, an eye for an eye and a tooth for two. But I say to you, don't resist your enemy. Go the second mile. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Both lens, Old Testament, New Testament. In the covenant, the old covenant was God's promises that were the laws that were written. And people would obey these laws that were written on paper and stone. God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And that new covenant is where I will write my law on your hearts. It's going to be within you. And you will know me. And guess who ushered in the new covenant? Jesus Christ. That's the lens. Well, this is one of my favorite. This is I've known for so long. And it's a simple statement. All of life is spiritual. Whoa. 
all of life is spiritual. How can I defend that? What God created, he declared good. Multiple times in Genesis. What this does, men and women, if you want to even begin to believe this idea that all of life is spiritual, means that you as a Christ follower cannot compartmentalize your spiritual life, your relationship with God. So congratulations, you're really spiritual because you came to Young Adult tonight and you're listening to Ecclesiastes 3, but tomorrow you're going to work. Nah, that's not spiritual, man. I read my Bible, that's spiritual, but I'm on my phone reading something that's significant. That's not spiritual. I play volleyball, that's not spiritual. I work out, that's not spiritual. I have a good meal. That's not with a friend. That's not spiritual. Men and women, all of life is spiritual. That is so profound. Because then that means that I celebrate the one who's given me all of life, the good and the bad. All these things that Solomon talks about is part of spiritual life. It's from God. That is so uh, transformative. It so helped me just to push against this compartmentalism. Well, I'm a good Christian here, but I'm not a Christian over here. No, all of life is spiritual. I could talk forever on that one. Well, I'm going to use some big words with you here. We're not fatalists. Okay, ready? Fatalism says that we are subjects and victims of chance. We live and we die. Eh, nothing more. We are random pawns in this universe. That's fatalism. Nihilism, Connie says nihilism, says there's no purpose or meaning. Life counts for nothing. No value. I'll go back to my phrase. We're not fatalists, nor are we nihilists. We are divine realists with faith-filled optimism. Yes, life in the sun gives us hope that time And tomorrow, the reality of tomorrow, there's a tomorrow, allows for a change, a new season, a new cycle, and a new start. Life is not static, and it is not stagnant. Connie made this statement. Babe, thank you so much. She said, the Ecclesiastes 3 passage is not two-dimensional, meaning this. So there's season, there's cycle life. So it means that it's not linear, straight line like this. So two-dimensional means I cycle through life, birth, death, healing, and I'm on this normal plane here. Khan said it's three-dimensional. We are moving forward as we move through the seasons of life, but we are also moving horizontally upward as we move through these seasons of life. You see what's happening? My life never stays the same. And with God, as the one that we're living with and under, my life continues not to become necessarily better, more comfortable. I become more Christ-like. I become more closer to God through the great times and the hellish times. And it's just this. I just, what a profound thought that Solomon gets here. That life in the sun has this hope that things can change. Things can get better or they can get worse. Well, that leads me to the next point. 
Well, what's it say? God is not surprised, nor has he abandoned us in the tough realities and seasons of life. Rather, he is in our midst, with us, in us, and through us. Would you write this phrase down if you're taking notes? It also means God is for us. Isn't that great news? You might be in the lowest cycle, lowest part of a hard cycle of season right now. You might be on the top of the world coming back from Mexico. God uses not just our success, but often more our sorrows, stumblings, and weaknesses to minister to others. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that because of our sorrows and brokenness, we're able to minister and comfort others. Oh, that's so powerful. One other thing I just want to boldly declare, beware of Satan's tactics. He is the father of lies and he's the father of deception. So what he will do, he will lie to you, especially when you're in a difficult season, when some of these very painful things are just in your face. And Satan will say, you're alone. God's abandoned you. He doesn't work. He doesn't love you. This, there's no hope. Do you hear those lies? And the other tactic he uses, he uses condemnation. You're a failure. You thought you were a Christian. You thought you were better than this. You're not even worthy of God's love. Hear the condemnation? Those are all lies. And in the sun, in this, these contrasts is the hope and the reality of God walking us through life. And working in and through us. Last statement. Love it. The world we live in is not safe, but under God's sovereign plan and care, it is good. C.S. Lewis, for you C.S. Lewis fans, do you notice I misspelled him? <laughs> A few of you in there. L-E-W-I-S. Sorry about that. I love this. C.S. Lewis describes the character of Aslan the Lion in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, with this statement. To Lucy, the beaver says, Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. <laughs> I love that. Sadly, I want safe. God says, mm, Maybe not, but I will be good. This is not a safe, comfortable, formulaic world we live in. But life under the sovereign, caring God and life in the Son is good. Is good. Ecclesiastes 3 helps us see and understand that as God defines life, it is not perfect, it is not comfortable, it is not easy, it is not painful, it is not controllable. But... It is holy, it is good, and it's worth living. Welcome to the Ecclesiastes 3 seasons of life. Would you pray with me? Father of seasons, Father of starts and finishes, Father, who defines and lives out these 14 contrasts, thank you that we are not fatalists or nihilists. 
We are not hopeless. We're men and women sort of stumbling through this life. But you have not abandoned us. You smile on our stumbling. And Father, I want to pray for each man and woman here this evening. I especially want to pray for those who are in a season, a cycle that is so painful. There's been tearing. There's been brokenness. There's been hatred. There's been death. There's been weeping. There's been mourning. Oh God, this evening, would they just know your nearness, your being Emmanuel? Would they know that you have this plan above the earth, that we live in the sun, and your plan is good, even if we don't understand it always, and there's more questions than answers. So Lord, thank you for your word. Seal it now for your glory. Live in our small groups, if you would, through our conversations and discussion and prayer. We pray this in your name. Amen.